All right, turn in your Bibles to Colossians 2. Um, just a reminder for you guys, if you haven't been with us on Sunday nights, um, we've been incorporating that discipline of public reading of Scripture. We've been putting a big chunk of Scripture out there. We've been reading it aloud. And, uh, yeah, that's a little awkward at first. That can be a little weird. But this was a practice that was very common in the Jewish tradition. Sometimes they would meet and just have feasts and listen to the first five books of what we call our English Bible read aloud. And that's what they would celebrate. They would just listen to the reading of Scripture. Early Christians also adopted this practice. They would start meeting in homes. And one of the things that they would do along with eating is they would just listen to Scripture being read aloud. These letters that Paul would write back and forth. So that is a little awkward. It's a little difficult in our day and age with our short attention spans, myself included. But it's something that we should practice at. It's something that we should train ourselves at being better at because there is a deep well of wisdom and of formation and transformation in just listening to public reading of Scripture. So I just want to remind you guys of that before we hopped in here. Um, But with this big chunk of Scripture... Um, in Luke 6, Jesus, he starts talking about the characteristics of what it means to follow him. He talks about the Beatitudes. He says, love people, even your enemies. He says, don't judge people by standards you don't employ to yourself. And then he says, here, that's what I'm saying to you. Now listen, if you don't do these things, this is what you're like. You're like someone who doesn't build their house on a good foundation. But if you hear the words of Jesus... And do them. You're, you're like someone who builds his house on a good foundation. So that's going to be the theme of fall retreat, is being established, building our lives on a good foundation. But first, I just want to remind you guys, fall retreat, it's not anything unique. Okay, we're not doing anything here that we don't do on Sunday nights. We are lifting up the name of Jesus. We are proclaiming Jesus. We're pointing you to Jesus because we think the more that you look to Jesus, the more you'll be changed. The more you see Jesus and look to Jesus, the more you'll be changed into the image of Jesus. And that's what the Christian life is all about. The Christian life is all about you being molded and shaped into the image of Jesus. So that's what this weekend is all about. The only difference is is that we are retreating, right? We're not, we're not in the normal daily routines of life. And so you're given the opportunity to have an intensive look at Jesus, an intense look at Jesus. And this is my only recommendation to you guys, is do not take that for granted. Listen, guys, it's really easy to be in the student ministry, go to fall retreat, do the denial thing, do the snowbird thing, ride the highs of the Christian life. And just say, hey, I got to go on another trip. Remember that trip? That's one where that person threw up or that person did this or this, you know, right? That's like how we kind of treat these events as just these weird memories we have about them. But you can take an awesome opportunity here. And you can intensely look to Jesus. And God can use that as a defining moment that resets the trajectory of your entire life. Do not waste this opportunity. Seniors, this might be the last fall retreat you go to. What eternal significance are you going to give to these younger students? You can give an eternal significance to the students in this room, the younger ones. Do not squander that opportunity. Your parents have provided for you to be here. 
we have, as a, a student ministry, put some sermons and worship songs and activities together. But God in his sovereignty has brought you to this place. God has ordained for you to be here. And he's not going to joke around about it. If you take it seriously, God can use this to define the rest of your life. So I, I want us to be serious. I want us to take this seriously. Uh, yes, have fun. Spend time with your friends. But maybe just delve a little deeper than the surface. Have some real conversations. Like, what is God teaching you? How can I help you in your struggle? Like, I know it's awkward, but don't let this opportunity go to waste. When we're singing, sing at the top of your lungs and sing the gospel. Celebrate the gospel. When you're taking notes, take notes, but don't just simply get everything from the screen. Write down some things that will challenge you in your walk with God and then bring those things to your small group, your discussion group, and encourage one another. Challenge one another. And, and yes, have fun, cut up, but maybe meet someone that you don't know. Maybe meet the outcast. Maybe meet the person that doesn't have a group. Maybe get to know them, right? Just here's, here's what I'm saying. Use this opportunity in a way that would honor God. Be good stewards of this opportunity. But the focus of this weekend is established. Now, you guys may have noticed that's kind of what we've been throwing around, this term established. Uh, where do we get that from? So last summer, I was really rethinking, like, what, what do we do as a student ministry? What is student ministry all about? Why do we gather here? Why do we do events? Why do we have small groups at midweek? And I've shared this with you guys before, but our goal in student ministry is to ground you in the faith. We want to see you guys rooted and established so that as you're built up, you can withstand the storms of life, the changing seasons of life. And that's really what we're all about. So we want you to be established, built up in the faith. And really, this is um, flowing from a desire that Jesus has for you and Paul has for you and the biblical writers have for you. In Luke 6, I just want us to revisit um, those two passages. Jesus uses two metaphors to talk about, uses two metaphors to talk about how every decision you make, every be behavior that you have, it flows from your core. It flows from a chief desire, an ultimate love that you have. So if you want to change your behavior, if you want to change your decisions and your choices, you have to deal with something at a heart level. And Jesus uses two metaphors to explain this. First one is that of a tree. He says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. What is a bramble bush? Does anyone know what a bramble bush is? Ethan? It's more fruit? You looked it up, and that's what they said, it's more fruit? Oh, oh, okay. Well, I don't know what a bramble bush is, but it has thorns on it? Okay. All right. So the point being, right, although we don't know what a bramble, no one, listen, no one was asking what a bramble bush was. We were just, we were fine with going through life not knowing what a bramble bush was. But we should ask those questions. But the point is, Grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. Um, so 
And this is, Jesus is using the metaphor, and he ties it back in here. He says, the good person, out of the good treasure of his what? Heart. Out of his heart produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Jesus is just driving you to consider your heart condition when you start considering the choices that you make. Because Jesus says there are people in this world, there may be people in this room, there may be some of us who throughout life we have called Jesus Lord, but our behavior does not match up to that. Jesus, we have said, yeah, I follow Jesus as Lord, but nothing I do reflects, none of the fruit of my life reflects that I follow Jesus. And what's the, what's the, the, the problem with that? It's a heart problem. Jesus makes another metaphor in verse, starting in verse 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why does this happen? Why do people call Jesus Lord and not do what he says? And he goes, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it. Why? Because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So Jesus is criticizing these people who call him Lord, and yet they've built their life on the wrong foundation. They've built their life on the wrong foundation. That is possible. It's possible to call Jesus Lord, Lord, and not have your life built around him. Each and every one of you in this room, you're progressing towards something. You're building something. It's natural to the human condition to feel like we're pursuing a specific goal. We always feel like we're moving in a direction. Isn't that interesting? We're always moving towards something. And it's the same way we're all building something. And the question is, what is our foundation? What's at our foundation, and what does that tell us about what we're building? You may be building your life around social success. You want to be the most popular student in school. You want to have the most followers on Instagram. You want to be known. You want to feel valued when other people know you and talk about you. Your goal is to be a celebrity. You will come to the end of your building project and find that no quantity of human attention will ever fill the infinite hole in your heart that has been designed to be filled by an infinite God who wants to know you and has called you to know himself. You may be building your life around financial security. You want to get that money. You want to be able to build whatever type of house you want. You want to buy a boat. You want to sit on your front porch and order anything you want from Amazon, have drones dropping stuff from the sky. You want to attend fancy dinner parties. That's what you want. You want to get that dream car. You're going to come to the end of your building project and realize all you've accumulated will be eaten by moths, and it will just be rust and the product of garage sales and dumps. And you'll realize that the only true thing that is valuable in life can't be measured by dollar signs. You may be building your life around academic superiority. 
you want to be the smartest person in the room or at least act like you're the smartest person in the room. You want to find interesting nuggets of information to impress your friends. You want to get degree after degree, write book after book. You want to teach class after class. You're going to come to the end of your building project and find that you're still a finite mind in the universe of an infinite God. And if you, unless you know him, you know nothing. You may be building your life around temporary pleasure. You want to feel like life is worth living. You party and you put on a fake smile to convince yourself and others that you're having a good time. You try and experience anything that will give you that next rush. You just want the dopamine, the junk food, the caffeine, the nicotine, alcohol, drugs, sex. Little little do you realize when you're trying to seize these things, these pleasurable experiences, they're in fact seizing you. And you become chained and addicted to the very things that you crave. You'll come to the end of your building project and find that the culmination of all of your temporary pleasures just leaves you with a deeper, long-lasting pain. You may be building your life around entertainment. You just can't stand to be bored. You'll do anything to escape boredom. You're simply spending your days hopping from one source of mind-numbing content to the next. YouTube, video games, Netflix, sporting events, Instagram. You want to live off the highs of life, the jokes, the laughter, the exciting, the shocking. And you will come to the end of your building project and find that you've just become a spectator to reality. You don't know what it means to truly live, and you don't really know what true joy is. See, all these things are building projects that have been built on the wrong foundation. And they lead to destruction and ruin. And and sometimes it's too late to notice. So what we want you guys to do is to build your foundation on the only thing that's worthy to have a foundation built on. And it's the way God has designed you to be as a human being. He's designed you to build your life on him and his design. He has created you in his image to glorify him. And the good news is, as you seek his glory, you will find true, lasting satisfaction. And that is what he has called you to build your life on. So our our goal for this weekend is to unfold where we should build our foundation. What type of building project should we be engaged in as human beings who follow Jesus? Not to use Jesus to establish our lives to establish our lives on Jesus and what he's done. Uh, Colossians 2, I asked you to turn there a while back. Paul shares this desire for you. Colossians 2, verse 5, he says to the saints in Colossae, he says, though I'm absent in body, though I'm not here, yet I'm with you in spirit. And he's rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So what does Paul want to rejoice in? What does Paul see and then that gives him joy. I don't know if you guys on the way here, um, you saw the sky. Anyone see the sky? Man, it's almost like an immediate reaction when you see something like that. It just creates in you an awe, right? Joy is a lot like that. Sometimes you can't explain why things cause you joy, right? But, but Paul says when he sees the saints have good, ordered faith, a firm faith, that gives him joy. 
That's what he rejoices in. Is that what you rejoice in? Is that what you want to see in your life and other people's lives? Well, that's what Paul wants to see for Christians. He doesn't want to see them have a flimsy faith that's tossed to and fro by circumstances. We here do not want you guys to have a flimsy faith where as soon as you go into another school or you go off to college, those circumstances sweep you away and your faith was just nothing. It was flimsy. We want to have good, ordered faith, a firm faith. And so Paul continues in verse 6. He says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. You see, Paul uses those same metaphors that Jesus used in Luke 6, that of a tree being rooted and also a house that's being established or built up. But as a means of introduction to the weekend, kind of an intro, I want us to see three things that accompany an established faith. There are three questions stirred from this text that we need to consider if we're going to get anywhere with having an established faith. If we want to have an established faith, we have to begin by asking ourselves three questions from the text. First question is this. Have I received Jesus as Lord? Look, I, I know most of us in here, raised in church, raised in the Bible Belt, we've probably walked the aisle, maybe even gotten dunked, right? We've maybe even just, we've been, we've been involved in the student ministry, we've been a leader in the student ministry, but this is where we have to begin. We cannot ignore this question. We cannot begin anywhere else. So at the core of your life, at the center of your heart, uh, what, what is the chief love? And who is on the throne of your heart? Who's calling the shots in your life? By whose authority do you live? Because listen, we all live by someone's authority. Someone or something is on the throne of our heart. God does, did not design us to be um, autonomous. You know what that word means? Self-governing. We always subject ourselves to the authority of another. We always subject ourselves to the authority of another. And, and the question is, what is that authority you're subjecting yourself to? What are you obeying? What is calling the shots in your life? Because I'll tell you, only Jesus is worthy to be the Lord of your life. He is the only one that's worthy. The story of the Bible is that when we're given authority for ourselves, it just leads to chaos and destruction and ruin. We're all prone to this self-authority that leads to destruction and ruin. We have this problem of forsaking God who made us for his glory and making life about our own glory. We all have this problem. So we take a God-centered universe and we make it a me-centered universe and we get disappointed when we can't control the things in our life. And so we get further in bondage to sin. And we become further and further broken with our sin. We all experience this problem. And it's an authority problem. It's a, it's a throne room of our heart problem that we're all experiencing. But while we turned our back to God, God turned himself towards us in love. One of the most radical things that's ever happened in the universe 
was that while we were spitting in the face of God, God turned towards us with loving arms, and he said, this mess you're making with your life, I'm going to take that on myself, and I'm going to pay the penalty for that mess, which is death, but then Jesus conquered that by being raised again three days later in victory. So Jesus has solved your mess that you've been making, and he's simply asking for you to surrender, to be subject to him, for him to be the king of your heart. And and by him being the king of your heart, by him being the Lord of your life, the mess starts to be put back to place. You start to experience restoration, and all things are operating as they're supposed to be. So this is where we have to start, is have you received Jesus as Lord? And notice, it's, a, it's about receiving. It's not about earning. It's not about gaining something. Jesus has done this, and he's asking you to receive it. Will you surrender to that? Will you receive that? So Jesus is worthy to be the Lord of your life. And so scripture describes this gracious gift, something you receive by faith, by surrendering to him. So unless that is your story, Unless you say, yes, I have received Jesus as Lord of my life. Everything else we talk about, unless that's your story, everything else we talk about is a distraction this weekend. This is our first priority. If Jesus is not the Lord of your life, no behavioral change you make, nothing will come to fruition. You'll just create a bigger mess. So unless Jesus is the king of your heart, everything else we talk about this week is a distraction for you. So this is the first question we have to ask. Number two, number two, do I walk in him daily? See, the second question concerns our everyday life. Paul says that Christians are people who have received Jesus as Lord, and then they continue in him. They walk in him. So Jesus says that true disciples, true followers of his, actually reflect that in their behavior, in their actions. Something about the way you live should reflect the fact that Jesus is on the king, is, is the king of your heart. Something about the way you live should reflect that he is your Lord. So we've noted this many times in our student ministry, but your habits will reflect your heart because your heart is actually shaped by your habits. So what are your habits saying about your heart, about who you follow, about who's Lord of your life? So we're... One clarification here. We're not saying that you're perfect, and we'll talk about that this weekend. We're not saying that you'll never struggle with sin, that you'll be freed from all your temptation and sexual desire. That's not the story of the Bible. But the Bible makes it very, very clear that Jesus saves people to change people, and he puts them on a new path. And you should have some reflection of being on a new journey, working in a new direction. That doesn't mean there's not speed bumps. This does not mean that there's not um, difficulties. But the fact that you're battling in a new direction shows that you've been put on a new journey. So God saved you to change you to be more like Christ for his glory. Are you becoming more and more like Christ? Is that reflected in your life? Now, there's some practical things we can list, right? We can say, do you have a desire to love Jesus? Do you have a desire to know him more and more? Do you seek to be in Scripture, not simply to have your guilt taken away from you, but to know God and experience what he has for your life? Do you want to show up to Sunday night and midweek? Do you want 
that? Do you desire that? Not simply to check it off the list, but because that's what you desire, because Jesus is your Lord. Do you seek to strengthen other people in your life? Are you seeking to bring other people into the kingdom of God? These are some practical things that show us that we're walking in Christ daily. Those are things that you can point yourself to. But are these things present in your daily life? Because those things mark followers of Jesus. So that's the second question. And here's the third question. Do I rest in his power with thanksgiving? Some of you may have answered the two question, first two questions with great confidence. It's like, yes, Taylor, I'm not perfect, but I've received Jesus as Lord, and I'm walking in him daily. I can confidently say yes to those things. This question's a lot more difficult. But Paul says this is what happens when you have an established faith, when you're rooted in Christ. You rest in his power with thanksgiving. Is your life, think about this, is your life defined by rest and thanksgiving? Are you operating in freedom or slavery? Because here's, here's the thing. If you don't have a life that's defined by rest and gratitude, you're probably working out your salvation by your own power. You're probably doing something called legalism. If you have no room for gratitude, you have, uh, no, you, you have created too much room to boast in yourself. This is what I mean. This is the hardest part of the Christian life. The hardest part of the Christian life is learning to rest in the accomplishments, accomplishments of Jesus while at the same time continuing to walk in him daily as the Lord of your life. You may think the hardest part is doing all the right things. It's not. The hardest part of the Christian life is not doing all the right things. It's more difficult to rest in the achievements of Christ on your behalf than it is to deceive yourself with self-achievements in the name of Jesus. It's harder to confess your self-righteousness than it is to confess your sinfulness. Listen to me, guys. Some of you are going through the Christian life in your own strength and your own power, and you're suffocating. You are trying to live up to expectations that Jesus has already lived up to. And so the hardest struggle of the Christian life is learning to rest in Jesus because he's won it for you, he's accomplished it for you, while at the same time living in a manner that honors that. So this is a tough question, guys. Is your life defined by rest and thanksgiving? And listen to me, unless you work from a foundation of thanksgiving and gratitude, you will not be able to implement anything that we talk about this weekend. Any amount of spiritual discipline that you try to put in your life without realizing it's God who works in you for his good will and purpose, it will not follow through on. You'll be continually frustrated. So you ha do you have this foundation of gratitude? And is that how you're operating in your Christian life? That's, that's the question. Are you resting in that? Now, again, this does not mean that we're not active, right? Faith is action. So resting in Jesus is actually submitting and surrendering to Jesus and, and doing the things of Jesus. God calls us to do things and to act a certain way. But it's from this foundation, okay? This is, this is what I'm getting at. The foundation has to be gratitude and thanksgiving that God is the one who's at work. 
So we need to have that perspective of thanksgiving. So right now, what I want us to do, I want to give you all an opportunity. I'm going to have the band come back up, and I want to have an opportunity for you to ask yourself these three questions. We all need to ask ourselves these three questions before we go anywhere this weekend, before we do anything to delve into what it means to have an established, well-built faith, we need to clarify these three questions. Have I received Jesus as Lord? Do I walk in him daily? And do I rest in his power with thanksgiving? Those are three things that we need to have as a foundation to have an established faith. Many of you, listen to me, many of you may answer no to one of those questions. Honestly, most of us probably do answer no to one of those questions. There have been times in my life, there have been times in my life where I've had to be honest and say, you know what, I'm not walking in Christ right now. I have let sin have too much of a a leeway in my life. I have been simply playing the church game, getting by. There's, There's other days where I say, you know what, I am not resting in Jesus right now. I have let busyness overwhelm me. I've become a hypercritic, a bitter old man. I don't have any joy. There are days I've had to be honest with myself about these questions. And, but if when we're honest with ourselves, we say, you know what? No, this isn't the path I'm on right now. This isn't where I'm at right now. That God can then say, in your humility, he can take it and turn it for his glory. So I want us to have an opportunity to do that right now. Now, listen, you guys know me. I'm not huge into the whole altar call, big spectacle, we be whatever. I'm not into that. But listen to me. We have to have a moment of vulnerability. We have to give ourselves the authenticity, the transparency that's necessary for the other people in this room to challenge us and encourage us to keep going, to press on.